What is happening, NFL fans? This is the NFL All-32 Podcast, the Week 13 preview presented by Football Game Plan and the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. David Hassegan here, as always, with the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt, Troy Anthony, and the ornery Alex Marinoni. Gentlemen, good morning. <laughs> What's, What's up, Dave? Dave? <laughs> Al- Alex is in a fighting mood here, folks. Uh, I will not get into why, but... Let's just say he's ready to punch someone, and right now it's me. Anyway, well, it was my wall earlier this morning. So. Uh, yes, there we go. So let, let's let's pray for that wall because it probably needs the help. But um, scoring and a, kind of a premium in most of the games across the NFL, we, it was either a high-scoring affair or a defensive struggle, depending on which game you turned into. Um, all of a sudden, Buffalo has eight wins. The Packers look human. And the Jets are on their way to the Super Bowl. It's guaranteed now. Donald <laughs> certainly guaranteed that one. Um, it's Thanksgiving week, though, folks. So happy early Thanksgiving. We'll talk about the three thir- Thursday games. Um, and we'll break down all of the weekend action as well. Uh, let's just get right into it. Week 12 was we'll start on Thursday night. Indianapolis taking on Houston. Huge game in the division. Houston have won seven of the last nine games versus the AFC South. They get this one 20-17. And they get a big win against a team they hadn't beaten in quite some time in Indianapolis. So shout out to Deshaun Watson. But it's funny how the media quickly turned on uh, Jacoby Brissett. Like, that's just hmm. phenomenal as if he's a problem with that team. They were – you know, T.Y. Hilton catches two passes, they win that game. So. How many wins do they have if he's not their starting quarterback? It, well, we saw that when uh, maybe uh, Hoyer was out yeah. there for two games and quickly stunk up the spot. Twice, so. Jameis Winston is, it, it, it some, seems like something out of a rom-com. I just can't quit you. I don't know how to quit you. Because all of a sudden, just when you think he's just going to be an inter- interception train, he does this. 35-22 against the Falcons, throwing some absolute dimes in this ball game, and the Falcons' defense came back to where they were about a month ago. Yeah, with the, the way the Falcons were playing, I thought that uh, the way they've been playing over the past few weeks, I thought this one would have been a lock for him. You know, Jameis Winston throws a pick, so I started dying laughing, saying typical Jameis. Then he comes back and throws a dime <laughs> to Chris Godwin. Then he throws another pick. I'm like, okay, he's back to normal. Then he throws another dime. It's like Favre-esque almost. You know you're going to get the interceptions, but then he pulls it off at the end, throwing for three touchdowns. Jameis Winston, the new Brett Favre. I love to I saw early in the game. Black Testa Verde. <laughs> I saw it on the bottom line. Jameis Winston, two of three, touchdown and an interception. That is that is the sum up of his entire season. Let's move on to the next one here. Denver taking on Buffalo. People questioning whether or not Buffalo is legit. They were good enough to get past a decent Broncos defense, 20-3. to three. We'll talk about Frank Gore later on in this podcast, but a nice win for Buffalo. Yeah, this game was everything you thought this game would be. Two tough defenses and just 23 points total scored in the game. Um, Bill's got the running game going, minus not just Frank Gore, but Devin Singletary leading the day with 106 yards. Definitely a sign of things that they needed to see coming down in this late stretch. Speaking of defensive struggles, the Giants at Chicago. Um, Chicago finally got some passing yards from Mitch Trubisky. Um, barely enough to win, 19-14 to 14 in this one. He had the worst interception of the day, I, I thought. Oh, that uh, was that ball just kind of like just went up there for no reason. <laughs> uh, shout out to the Giants defense. Doing a great job against a very tough Bears offensive attack. Oh, the sarcasm in that <laughs> But I will folks. say this. You look at the Bears <laughs> defense. I think everyone kind of knew that this was going to be that type of game. Daniel Jones has to protect the football. He's got to learn it for sure. Pittsburgh taking on Cincinnati. It looked like the Bengals were going to get that first win. And then Pittsburgh went to the Duck. Devlin Hodges comes in and leads them to a win, 16-10. First time in franchise history for the Bengals, though, that they start 0-11. I feel bad for Tomlin, man, because he's he's one of the best coaches in this game. We've been praising his his uh, likes the past few weeks, but he has no help at all at this quarterback <laughs> spot. Mason Rudolph is absolutely terrible. Devlin Hodges comes in, throws a nice strike to James Washington. Did you guys see that stiff arm that he put on that <laughs> defender, though? Shout that, out to BW. Retire. Retire. It's a big retire. body, get out my way on the way to taking it to the house <laughs> meanwhile in the division cleveland all of a sudden is putting up some points 41 24 obj gets his first touchdown pass i think reception since i think week two uh they crushed the dolphins 41 24 and nick chubb though again a key to the victory 
Yeah, it was weird. The uh, Baker Mayfield found Landry and Beckham a combined 16 times, and they won. Huh, it, it, it's weird. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nick Chubb also did his thing. They gave him the ball 21 times, and he ran for over 100 yards. I mean, and they dominated the dominated the uh, Dolphins in a game that was a 10.5 spread that I actually thought the Dolphins could cover, and I was rooting Fitzpatrick on when he's sitting there laughing every time they're, they're coming back with these touchdowns. Definitely uh, on his 37th birthday, was making a little magic, but ended up coming up way short. Well, he did find Joe Schober twice. Uh, shout out to Joe <laughs> hey. this second multiple interception game. Hey, gotta give <laughs> Put him a tight end. Meanwhile, the game of the week this week definitely was the Panthers and the Saints. We thought last week this might be a blowout. The way that the Panthers were trending, the way the Saints were trending, this was an awesome ball game. Saints pull it out with a last-second field goal, 34-31. Huge win for New Orleans, and the Panthers showed some life. Well, this is your classic New Orleans-type game. You know, when the Saints tend to get bored in the middle of a game, and they allow the team back in, and they try to make it exciting. They're almost like the Texans and Chargers <laughs> in how they play these games. And Kyle Allen seems to just play well inside. Like, his numbers, when you look at them in a dome, is far better than his numbers outdoors. So I don't know what it is, but he actually loves the Saints defense because he's been fire the last couple times they played uh, each other. And Thomas with eight receptions and 100-plus yards for the fifth consecutive game. Whoever took him in fantasy must be very happy right now. All of a sudden, the New York Jets are at full strength, and they are scoring points. 30-plus points for the third straight game. The first time they've done this since 2008. They run rough shot over the Raiders, 34-3. to Well, in last week's breakdown of this game, we gave the formula of how the Jets would defeat the Raiders. They mm-hmm. have to stop the run, which they held Jacob, Jacobs to only 34 yards on the ground, and Darnold has to have a day, which he did. He threw for 300 yards again. And in two games in, the row, two games in a row here, the Jets were underdogs. Last week against the Redskins, this week against the Raiders. And in both games, they blew the team out. So the Jets are rolling right now. And it, I was at this game yesterday covering it. The Raiders didn't cross 50 until the fourth quarter. Uh, in the second half. They only crossed 50 once, and that was in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so not exactly good for the Raiders, who we thought might be a surprise team for a wild-card spot. Another one of the defensive struggles this week, Redskins taking on the Lions. Redskins' first win since Week 7 of 2018. They went 19-16, and the first win in the career of Mr. Haskins over there in Washington. Yeah, Haskins uh, got his first career win, which was great for him. Struggled early on, missing some throws, but then when he needed it late, he had a big run, a big scramble that got them a big first down, and finding his boy Terry McLaurin. Uh, you saw throughout the game their camaraderie started to really uh, really take shape. Move on now to Tennessee taking on the Jags. Just when you think the Titans might be you know, heading in the wrong direction, now they've went, won a couple in a row again. Tannehill Four total touchdowns, two on the ground, two through the air. They beat the Jaguars 42-20. Shout out to Derrick Henry for the throwback 1995 mid-drift jersey. Like, he's out there looking like someone's (laughs) uncle running the football against middle schoolers. (laughs) Like, the stiff arm, you talk about the stiff arm in the uh, Bengals game. Like, he had a couple in this one against the Jaguars. They were running the football really well. Tannehill is playing great. He's also proven to be a dual threat. He's doing his best Marcus Mariota impression for this football team. They're rolling right now. Derrick Henry, the Titans, the Jaguars has to be Derrick Henry's favorite team. That's his, to play that's his team. It has his to team. be. Has to be. Um, talk about tough conditions to play in. It was a nasty day up in New England, as it can get this time of year. Patriots taking on the Cowboys. Tight ball game, a defensive ball game, but the Patriots pull out the victory 13 to 9. Rumblings continue in Dallas. This was the second ugliest game of the season. The first (laughs) being that showdown between the Niners and the Redskins. But this one was abysmal. Pouring down, raining. Everybody was affected by it. Um, But the Patriots special teams comes up huge with the block punt, setting up the only touchdown of the game in this one. Once again, Zeke is bottled up by another team. Brady doesn't look like himself on offense. Patriots offense is kind of stifled. Going forward, they're going to have to get that corrected. This game was flexed out of the primetime slot. The Eagles taking on the Seahawks. Um, Seattle looked solid coming into this game. They had some trouble with the, with the Philly defense. They get the win, 17-9, but the Seahawks showed uh, a little bit of rust maybe in that offensive game. Yeah, there's some struggles on both sides of the ball, uh, both offenses in this one. Um, and right now the Seahawks might have a Chris Carson problem as mm. he has he lost a fumble or he had a fumble in this game and then they said Wilson had the lost fumble, but you could, if that was a handoff situation, I'm going to put that on Chris Carson. Um, but Rashad Penny, 
taking advantage. 14 carries, 129 yards, and a touchdown was really the bright spot for this offense in those tough conditions. And a bright spot for the Eagles, Zach Ertz, second fastest tight end to 500 career receptions. And the primetime game from Sunday night, 49ers versus the Packers. This was going to be the acid test for the 49ers. Are they legitimate? Obviously, they struggled. They had a tough fight with the Seahawks. Then they had to come back. How do they respond after a comeback win last week? They throttled the Green Bay Packers, 37-8. to Obviously, the Packers had a couple injuries on the offensive line, which did not help against a very aggressive defense. But the 49ers are legit, and Aaron Rodgers did not have any time to throw. Yeah, they have a bevy of game breakers on offense, guys that can hit the home run. In the backfield, they got three legitimate guys that are the same type backs uh, from height, weight, speed, all of that in the backfield. Receivers, they have game breakers. Tight end, they have a game breaker in Kittle. And defensively, with all that length and athleticism they have on the front line, it is easy to see why they collapse a pocket every drop back. These guys just extend out. There's nowhere to go. This is a dominant football team. I'm pretty sure they showed a stat last night. I think all four starters on the front four for San Francisco have more than five sacks this year. Yeah, you can see why. It's like ridiculous to see that. Because usually you have these taller guys. They're out on the edge, but they have the ability to go down inside. So you have these taller defensive tackles that play with good pad level. It's very tough to block. All of a sudden, that coaching change that people were questioning last year, eh, he might be okay in San Francisco, I'm just saying. Um, Let's talk about some of the stuff that happened this week. And we got to start. We mentioned him in the in the beginning, Frank Gore. Did we talk Seahawks Eagles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked Seahawks Eagles. I thought you were talking about. Oh, you talked about the fumbles, yeah. Carson. I crushed oh, it. Goodness. I yeah. crushed. I crushed. He that crushed game. it. Yes. <laughs> Someone has to be professional in here. I'll keep track. I wouldn't. I, would, I was following. Fair, I was following NFL scores. Uh, to be fair, well, they he, were he skipped it the first time because they flexed it up, and I. Right. You caught me. I missed the Redskins game. I, mi- I missed it. <laughs> I missed it last week. I had it this week. Don't worry about it. Anyway. We mentioned it in as we were running through the scores there, and that is Frank Gore of the Buffalo Bills, who seems like he's been in the league now for about 500 seasons out of the 100 in the NFL. He is now the third all-time in career rushing yardage in NFL history. This is a guy who's so understated, he never gets the credit, I feel, amongst the the all-time greats at the running back position, and yet he just keeps on going when you look back at his career we don't know when it's going to end he might play until he's 75 at this rate what is frank gore's legacy because again you don't really think of him as as the top five back but he's turning into one yeah i think you have to look at him in the same prism as you would look at um you know guys like Corey dillon mm-hmm. um otis anderson those type backs where they they you know they were good really good backs for a long period of time uh, they and it's not to say they are compilers because you suppose that's what you want if you're playing that position. You know you want to be able to compile yards and you know in his heyday he was a he was a stud yeah. uh, for San Francisco and he's just been consistent and to be that consistent people knocked Jerome Bettis for that in his career. They've knocked Curtis Martin you know mm-hmm. saying uh, well you don't remember any of his runs um, but you know Curtis Martin was pretty good Bettis was pretty good. Um, and Gore is, is, is outstanding. The numbers tell you that. It's hard to be this consistent at that position, especially considering how he came into the league with those two knee injuries and the fact that he has suffered some knee injuries in his NFL career. So Frank Gore is one of the more – he's an inconvenient truth. You know, he's yeah. he's a great back. I think he's a Hall of Famer. I, I think the, the whole thing of you don't remember any of his touchdown runs, you could say similar thing about Emmett Smith. To be honest with you. Listen, I have a whole hey, listen. <laughs> me and my homeboy talk about that all the time. It's like, bro, if you look at Emma Smith, like and we were we grew up in that era. Yeah. Um, and it was a constant lunch table debate, Emma to Barry. And mm-hmm. Barry was just doing things just so amazing to where when you look at Emma Smith, you're like, bro, like he basic. And it's so funny because when you watched um, I wanna say Emma Smith's football life. Michael Irvin said it best, too. And Michael Irvin was like, wait a minute. Think about Michael Irvin for a minute. He was on the team in 88 when they had Herschel Walker. So you're watching Herschel Walker, and then you trade him, and you take Emmitt Smith. And he was like, wait, man, this dude's short. He's slow. Like, we we just got rid of Herschel Walker. This go be our guy. And so, but you can't knock Emmitt Smith for, again, the consistency, the, the longevity. 
and the fact that he pushed that thing to eighteen thousand, yeah. And Emmett will tell you like he'll say Barry would have put it at twenty, but yeah. you you can't knock Emmett Smith. So I don't think you you can't knock Frank Gore either. The biggest thing with Frank Gore is that you got to give him his durability. That's the biggest thing to be able to play at that position for this long without putting up huge numbers, cons- you know, on a year to year basis. You know, solid numbers every year, but never in huge. That's got to be the biggest credit is the fact that he's taking care of himself for this long. I mean, uh, Frank Gore is hands down going to be a Hall of Famer. I was a huge U fan back in the day, so I knew what he was coming out with the knees. was kind of iffy what he was going to be, and to see him pop on the scene with San Fran doing what he did made me sort of proud being a U fan. He's going to get knocked for his quote-unquote just being a stat compiler, but at the end of the day, he's going to finish at least third in total rushing yards in the NFL. At yep. least third. So there's no way you're holding him out of the Hall of Fame. And he has a chance to finish second if he could put together maybe like three more seasons to get past Walter Payton. 1,500 yards. That's all he is away from being in second. I mean, just incredible mark. Yeah, I don't also believe in the whole stack compiler when it comes to a running back position in the NFL. You could do it in other sports and you could yeah. be a stack compiler, but to play as long as he has and be as durable as he has, and he was a workhorse for a long time with the 49ers. It wasn't like he's a guy that had those big booms, and I know that's going to be a knock on him, but I think this is more impressive, the fact that he could take a beating, go through his knee issues, go through all this stuff, and he's still here. He's just <laughs> still doing it on a consistent <laughs> basis. I mean, and that's that's been the most impressive thing to me, and I think absolutely, if that is even a debate, hands down he's a hall of yeah and the fact yeah. that he's 36 years old still in this league we see plenty of guys come in the league for one two maybe three seasons and they're done but 32 nfl franchises at least one of them feel as if at 36 years old he's better than some of these guys coming in to be able to still have him rostered that says a lot yeah exactly and you have so many running backs especially as you said just with the wear and tear are done after eight years mm-hmm. nine years you look at a guy like marshawn lynch who probably durability wise probably could be you know racking up these kind of numbers at a longer age period but just couldn't you know decide that wasn't it that was enough frank gore just loves this game that's the biggest thing with him he just loves going out and playing this game and he's he's been rewarded for it but the question is again now he's number three on the rushing list where would you put him on the all-time roster and that transitions into the nfl 100 the roster is is slowly being revealed the first position was revealed this week and it was the running back position and there was a group of 12 that made the nfl all 100 all-time team so we'll go down the list here and then we'll discuss it jim brown earl campbell dutch clark eric dickerson lenny moore marion motley walter payton barry sanders gail sayers oj simpson emmett smith and steve van buren on the roster some of those are slam dunks uh, you know guys like uh sayers and smith and Walter Payton, obviously Barry Sanders. A couple other ones are further back in the NFL, so we don't really, you know, obviously, Emery, as a football historian, you would know more. I could have been mean and said because they played back in your childhood. but uh. <laughs> I grew up watching a lot of NFL films. That's the beauty of, of my era, having that, you know, it was like legit history lessons every day you got to watch. Nowadays, it's all top ten Patriots and top ten Tom Brady lookalikes and top ten. They, they really have bundled uh, bungled this whole NFL films thing. So I'm glad I grew up in an era where Steve Sable was alive and thriving and he was truly using it as a video encyclopedia his, uh, history yeah. uh, of the game. So I learned a, a you know a ton about football as a kid just watching NFL films and being taught about these guys that I hadn't seen play. Guys like a Steve Van Buren who if you're, you know, an Eagles fan, Steve Van Buren's probably in your Mount Rushmore. Uh, even today as part of your top four Eagles players of all time for the history that he was able to provide to that club, but somebody, somebody that maybe a lot of the newer generation doesn't know about. Yeah, and Van Buren, when he retired, was the NFL all-time leading rusher. So right. he retired in 51. He had 5,860 yards. And so during his time, he led the NFL in rushing four times, led him in touchdowns four times, led him in yards per game five times. So he was a legit stud, and he was one of those first bigger backs, about 6'2", about 215 pounds, you know, so that was big for the time. Right. And he had he had sprinter speed. But um, out the 12, I, the Dutch Clark one really baffled me. Yeah. Like he played, you know, in the 30s. Right. And when you're thinking of the 30s, you're probably going to think Cliff Battles of the Boston Braves slash Washington Redskins, or you're going to think of Red Grange, who it was kind of like 
the star of the era in both college football at Illinois and with the Bears when he joined the league, when right. the league first formed. Out of as much football as I know, I've never heard of Dutch Clark. And he's a Hall of Famer <laughs> and everything like that, but I've never heard of Dutch Clark. He's an all-pro, six-time all-pro. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But even Bill Belichick had a tough time explaining what made him one of the 12. Yeah. I probably would have gone – again, I couldn't – you can't I, – I, you could – I would have been fine with Steve Van Buren. I was fine with Marion Motley, considering the historical significance. Yep. The fact that he was legit 6'1", 240 in an era where that was a guard. And he was <laughs> a, a tailback yeah. with sprinter speed. So no yeah. one was going to tackle him. Um, so he was I, – I can understand that. I love the O.J. Simpson, uh, Eric Dickerson, all the other guys. I would have taken out Dutch Clark and probably would have gone with Marcus Allen. That's because enough, of yeah, because Marcus Allen, you know, before L. Davis and him had the beef, Allen was the Marshall Falk of the era. Yeah, his first three years in the league, he was also. And remember, he came into the league in a strike year in '82, and then he had another strike year in '87. So they had two sh- uh, shortened seasons, '82 and '87, and you know the fact that he was able to transform his career. He was a the premier star tailback at, with the Los Angeles Raiders. They get Bo Jackson. He takes a backseat to play fullback. And so that way you get Bo and, and Marcus on the field at the same time. and becomes more of a receiver, you know. Then he goes out to Kansas City at Frank Gore's age and thrives in Kansas City. You know, mm. having, you know, sat on the bench for the Raiders for a long time. He finished with 12,000 yards and playing for a, such a long period of time. So I would have probably put Marcus Allen ahead of Dutch Clark in that list. I mean, there was always going to be controversy here. I mean, it's so tough because you're comparing different eras and that sort of thing. But some, I mean, first of all, no current players as part of this group, despite Frank Gore now becoming the third time all time leading rusher. Um, no LT, no Curtis Martin. What do you, th- I mean, now, you know, we're obviously a little bit younger. We know these guys a little bit better. Surprised that these guys weren't. Really in there? Highly surprised. Highly, highly, highly surprised. I mean, LT is the seventh all-time leading rusher. Just if you look at all-purpose yards, he's going to be the top five, possibly top three. I haven't calculated it, but when it comes to his receiving, him and Marshall Falk, I understand have like the thought process of okay, um, generational differences. Yeah. You got to put some of these players who during their time dominated the game, this, that, and other. But you can't take away from the greatness of more current players just because those players dominated during their time yep. if you put it if you put it on a scale of, okay what did they do during this time and what did these players do, do during that time LT still put up monstrous numbers I mean he had 32 touchdowns in one season and he doesn't make this list that's 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 bonkers that's ridiculous I think one of the other guys you gotta throw in there too no Adrian Peterson where is AP on this list because for a four or five year stretch he was the dominant running back in this era, in this league, in a very tough era, he's got to be considered. I know that AP made the prelim list. I'm assuming that he didn't. LT did as well. Yeah, yeah, LT did as well. I'm assuming that they didn't want to go with uh, all modern guys. I yeah, can understand all that. modern guys, but I, I would have put LT over AP. Yeah, when it comes to that, I'm in the same boat with those two. AP was a guy that we watched like single-handedly bring his team to the playoffs, just like by himself. I mean, when Christian Ponder's your starting quarterback, and this dude <laughs> is giving you a chance to win playoff games, like you know, just the dominance he had. It was just anytime he touched the ball, it was like it's like when a big home run hitter came up for uh, in baseball when you're just when Barry Bonds would come up and you're like, this ball's gonna go out. You know, yeah. you just have that feeling yeah. like something's gonna happen. That was, every time Peterson got the ball in between the tackles, you're like, he's gonna break it. You know, what I mean, yeah. like that was. The type of player and same thing with Tomlinson I mean he's seventh on the all-time list like you said 4,700 receiving yards on top of that he had a hundred catch season at one point all the touchdowns he scored I mean that's um I thought comparing it looking at the same amount of time he has more yards than Dickerson in the same amount of years and that's not including his receiving yards so that's something where when you're putting the list together and you're and you think of all the flashy plays and the LT moments yeah that's a guy that's hard to leave off it's crazy and you brought up an interesting name too, Emery. You brought up Bo Jackson. Now, obviously, he you know went into baseball. He didn't spend as much time in the league. Like he deserves his own Hall of Fame. Bo Jackson should be in the All Athlete Hall of Fame. Just put him <laughs> anywhere he needs to go because now he's probably a champion bow hunter or something like that. I think that's what he does <laughs> yeah, in his he free does. time. We we I, we have segments coming out on football game plan talking about. Uh, we do our top hundred. 
um, by position. So we're, we'll talk Bo Jackson, obviously. And we have another segment uh, entitled Making a Case. You know, I can make a case for, you know, just for him being in the Hall of Fame. When people say, you know, can you tell the story of the NFL without this player? They say that. They love to say that. Yeah. But also, if you were to poll any NFL player and ask him, just based off his time in the league, how great was Bo Jackson? You get a, you know. Hall of Fame all the time. Easy. You know, so, I mean, keeping it to, you know, that's a harder case of making top 12 running back <clears throat> of all time. But how about we talk about uh, Tony Dorsett, another one. That's um, another, yeah. You know, he played in the for the Cowboys three strike seasons, I believe. I think the, uh, in the 70s they had one. Uh, 82 and 87. 87, he was he was splitting time with Herschel Walker, um, but Dorsett was another one. Like yeah. they could, I thought they were. Lt could have been one. Peterson could have been one. Falk could have been one. Um, uh, Franco Harris or what have what have you. All of them would have been deserving more so over uh, even Joe DeJet Perry. Now, you may not know who Joe Joe Perry is, but Joe Perry was part of the the million dollar backfield. In San Francisco with him, Hugh McElhenney, who was also on uh, the preliminary list, but no Joe Perry, uh, which is phenomenal. It was, it was Joe Perry, Hugh McElhenney, and John Henry Johnson, all three in the Hall of Fame. All three played in the same backfield along with Y.A. Tittle out there in San Francisco. But Joe Perry, when he retired, was the all-time leading rusher. And he retired in 63 with 9,723 yards. Now, just for reference sake, I say 9,700 and whatever yards, he's 34th all-time on the list. And he retired 60-something years ago or almost 60 years ago. Mm. So, to me, that tells you how impactful he was on the game. Mm. And a guy that split the backfield with three – with two other Hall of Famers or three Hall of Famers, you count Y.A. Tittle – Perry should have been at least on a preliminary list over this Dutch Clark dude. You know, yeah. Dutch Clark played when no blacks could play. Yeah. That's that's a fact. And also, no one knows who Dutch Clark is. <laughs> like, <laughs> Still. But Joe Perry, I thought, I think Joe Perry is probably one of the more criminally underrated backs in history. Surprised that there's um, also too no uh, no pure fullbacks on in as part of this team. Marion Motley was the was the kind of yeah. Yeah, he wore 76 too, so. Yeah, but like, I think he's you know there's a few fullbacks that you I think could get mentioned in there. Um, Who would be your best your top fullback of all time since uh 2001 since you like 19 years old. Like, <laughs> all you guys are here are young. Y'all watch y'all see. All start. Like, well, who's your best fullback? I mean, if you're going to go, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> all start would be up there. All start's definitely up there. Fullback. I mean, if you're going to go talk about historic fullbacks, though, I think you got to throw in Rocky Blyer, too. Four time Super Bowl champion, leading Franco Harris as part of those Steelers teams he in was that backfield. He wasn't a true fullback. He was a tailback. He was, he was a tailback, but he was in there on a lot of blocking plays for Harris, though. If you're going to go straight fullback, you got to go Lorenzo Neal. Lorenzo Neal. Lorenzo Neal's a stud. Right. I mean. That's fullback right there. All start. All start was oh, tight end at the at the fullback. Train baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know he was. A, I hated how he stole from uh, uh, Warwick Dunn. Dunn. Yeah. yeah. So, you know if the, you know if he would have stayed more traditional fullback, but uh, Larry Centers, another one, was the first versatile fullback. I thought Tom Rathman was another good um, one. Was it Michael Robinson? From Seattle, yeah, yeah, Robinson, who's versatile, yeah. Uh, is, but John, is John Riggins considered a fullback? Tailback, he was tailback, tailback, tailback yeah, yeah. yeah. He had sprinter speed too. Moose like, Johnson, but who? Daryl Moose Johnson. Moose Johnson, you know, I, 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 yeah. I still probably go Lorenzo Neal. Probably Lorenzo Neal's probably oh, yeah. pure, the pure yeah. fullback. If you have to go pure fullback, Neal's number one. If you had although a, him at Fresno State was was he was a, a tremendous tailback. Yeah, he, <laughs> they made him a fullback in when he got to New Orleans, but. Um, he was a good tailback at, in college, but yeah, fullback I would probably go with with Lorenzo. Neal. And if, and if there was a fullback tight end flex, Mike Allstott. <laughs> Allstott, the, I mean, Allstott the, was more of a tailback to me. Like you, you yeah, tailback. There speed. used to be times where they had him and Lorenzo Neal in the backfield at the same time. 
that's scary as hell. That's, that's a, scary that's, as hell. That screams one-yard game. <laughs> Goal line. Goal line formation. Let's get into – let's go back to the current day now and let's get into some buy or sell because now we're getting into the home stretch of the season. Shout out to Keith Byers, too. Good fullback. There we go. Five weeks left in the season, guys. We're going into week 13 now. It's hard to believe. It's time to do some more buying and selling, and we're going to start with the hottest team in football, the New York Jets. <laughs> Somehow – amazingly when you have your star quarterback that's supposedly going to build a franchise around and he's healthy somehow you have a good offense together and the Jets have done that as we said 30 plus points in three consecutive games the offense is moving forward are we buying and selling the Jets because the schedule down the stretch is favorable this is an AFC where everyone's beating everybody else a team that goes on a run might have a chance you're saying buy or sell like playoffs playoffs (laughs) I mean the court, I mean, Darnold did come out and say he was making a guarantee. The last Jets quarterback to make a guarantee came through, so Stop maybe. It. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, but buy or sell the Jets being in contention at the end of this thing? Uh, selling. I'm definitely selling. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's a scornful Jets fan. 100 percent selling. I've seen it. I've been. I've seen this. I've seen this story before. Um, I mean, I, I'm not even convinced that they're they're consistent enough to put up a, a win up against Cincinnati next week, and uh, and they have no win. So, um, they have to do more to prove it. You can't put up 34 against Washington and 34 at home on a one o'clock game against a West Coast team. I know everybody will look at the numbers and say West Coast teams are actually above five hundred. That there was they definitely <laughs> looked like a team that was just jet lagged and had all the confidence in the world they were gonna roll the Jets. Um, and then when it comes down to it, at best they'll be six and seven, right? They'll play the Bengals and the Dolphins. And then they gotta play a short week and go to Baltimore. Mm. And I expect just the worst. So um <laughs> Yeah, so I'm I'm selling hard. There's there's 40 <laughs> years of pain already on your body following just, this team front front. <laughs> seen it way too many times. It's like there's your hope. There's the you know just enough to get people back into the stadium, and then just so they can boom the next week. That's just what they do. <laughs> Troy Emery buying or selling the Jets being a contender at the end. I gotta sell them, man, because yeah, they ripped off a good uh, three game stretch. But looking at their schedule, they're at the Bengals, home against the Dolphins, at the Ravens, home against the Steelers, and then at the Bills. That's three wins I'll give them against the Bengals, Dolphins, and Steelers. I could see them dropping one of them. I mean, they already dropped the one against the Dolphins. But (laughs) that Ravens and Bills game is going to be tough. They're not beating the Ravens. And the last game of the season at the Bills, that Bills, that could be for playoff seeding right there. The Bills are going to come to play. No, I don't don't see them making the playoffs here. I'm selling because they already have seven losses. And you see how the rest of the AFC sets up right now. You got Tennessee, Indianapolis. Cleveland, uh, Pittsburgh, quietly six and five. So they're already out of the playoffs in my attention, in my opinion. But they have an opportunity uh, to make it very interesting. They lost closely to the Bills in Week One. Now, granted, this is a different Bills team, but this is also a different Jets team. In, in yep. at the end of the season, Pittsburgh, you don't know which offense you're going to get, but you know the defense will give them a, an issue. So will Baltimore's defense. Miami, they have an opportunity if they learn from what they did in the uh, the previous meeting. Cincinnati is a different bag. I think Cincinnati is just wasting Jake Dolagala on the bench. He will probably give them a better opportunity to win the game. They're not a bad football team. They're 0-11. I don't think they're 0-11 bad. I think they're probably 3-8 and bad. Mm. So that's a tricky game. I'm selling them down the stretch. So you mentioned the Tennessee Titans because this is another team where they've made the quarterback change. They won a couple in a row. They lost a couple weeks ago. Now they've won two in a row again. They've won four of their last five. Tennessee Titans. Playoffs? Buy or sell? I'm selling them uh, because they have a tougher – they got two uh, – three tough games, I think, in this in this stretch. One, they have the Texans. They played the Texans twice. They got mm-hmm. New Orleans and they got Indianapolis. Now, can they split with Houston? And can they beat Indy? That's the biggest question. The New Orleans game is interesting. And the Raiders game, to be honest, I thought the Raiders came out and laid an egg yesterday mm-hmm. against the Jets. So I don't know what the, which Raiders team they're going to get. But those games against the Texans, Colts, and Saints, I think keep them at 500. I got to sell them as well. Uh, looking at this AFC playoff race, I don't think the Titans are in the running for the AFC South. 
Um, so they're going to be in the running for a wild card. At best, I think Buffalo has at least a fifth seed. I think the Buffalo are going to be a lock for a wild card spot. So that leaves the sixth seed open for the Titans. And like Emery said, the schedule that they have left is just too intense. They, they got Houston twice, the Colts, the Raiders, and the Saints. And unless they can win at least, at least four of those games, I don't see them making it. I'm buying the fact that they're uh, that they'll make it interesting. They could be a playoff team, like they could be a playoff team. Mm-hmm. I think it, like they'll be a team that come week 17, uh, week 17 against the Texans. That that's going to mean something. Um, I'm not sold right now on the Colts with all their injuries and just the way they've been playing. Um, I mean, they've just to me they look like a team that could be what we all thought they would be like a division winner and then they just they kind of fall off a little bit and i think when this game next week i think the titans could surpass them in the division and then the texans have just been so inconsistent they play yeah. every game close they haven't they don't really blow anybody out so a couple of mistakes and um the way the titans just have that mojo right now they could probably steal one of those games and all of a sudden make it a uh, make it a division you also mentioned we mentioned the buffalo bills that's gonna be the next one we're gonna talk about here because their schedule down the stretch for buffalo is not easy it starts this weekend with the dallas cowboys on thursday night the bills are eight and three defensively they are sound they are up there with anybody in the league but can they get enough wins together in this tough AFC to be in the playoffs? Here's the thing about Buffalo. If you look back at their schedule and you see two games, it's like, man, if they would have got that win, mm-hmm. it would have been game over. They, they're going to the playoffs with these. They would already have nine wins. And nine wins, you could probably luck up and get two more and be at 11. Uh, that Browns game is huge for them. They lost that Browns game. They had an opportunity to win that one. That would have put them at nine wins. In the first Patriots game, we saw Josh Allen get knocked out. And even though the Patriots was dominating in that game, the Bills were right there one possession game. But when you look at this backstretch, Cowboys, Thanksgiving, Ravens, Steelers, Patriots, Jets. Murderer's Row. Yeah, it's Murderer's Row. And they're going to have to find two wins, I think, out of that stretch. That's going to be very tough. So with that being the backdrop, I would sell them down the stretch. But, again, they if they can find two wins and get to 10, they're going to be in the playoffs. No, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Those were pretty much going to be my exact points. They need two more. I give them the Steelers game. I think that they can pull that one out. Uh, we have two tough defenses. I like the Bills' offense more than I like the Steelers' offense. I think that they can pull that out. So if they can pull off the Cowboys, I don't think they have a shot against the Ravens. The Patriots, like we said, played very tough. The biggest factor here is going to be December uh, December in New England, which we know how tough that is. But they played them very tough the first time, and the Patriots' offense is not what it has been in the Tom Brady-Belichick era at all to this point in this season. And that last week against the Jets is going to be huge because that can be the make-or-break week. Yeah, I'm buying them being a playoff team, definitely. Um, it's just basically they have their eight wins already, and that's that's the biggest thing. They don't have to get all these wins. Just two, I agree with you guys. Um, and I think there's some winnable games. I mean, you look at the Dallas Cowboys. I know it's it's Thanksgiving, and it's they typically play well. They're at home, but that's a winnable game. I don't think Dallas has proved anything this year so far that they could beat that they, that this should be an automatic win for Dallas. Mm-hmm. And they've already shown against New England that they're not afraid of New England. And like mentioned before, if Josh Allen doesn't get knocked out of the game, they have a chance to win that game. Mm-hmm. New England doesn't have the star power offense that they used to have. And Week 17, the Jets could play spoiler for them, but this is a different. Uh, but this is a Buffalo team that will be hosting that game. Um, we know how Buffalo is late, and we know how the Jets play late in Buffalo. Well, we saw we saw this situation, what, three years ago with Ryan Fitzpatrick yes. having to beat the Bills to get into the playoffs, and the Bills spoiled their opportunity. Um, this could be a, a chance for revenge. And I do think Week 17, it will come down to win and get in for, for Buffalo. I think that game will be a play-in game for the Bills. It's going to be an interesting one for sure for Buffalo. Let's. I'm going to add this one in here. We're going to talk. We were going to talk about this for a separate segment, but we don't want to keep you guys here for three hours. Jason Garrett, he is to blame for all that is happening this season in Dallas. Buy or sell? I'm selling it. You said uh, all of the blame. He deserved because he's getting all the blame. Here's the thing: we're not talking about whether or not he deserves to be fired here. 
because every other morning show is talking about that, and we don't want to think about this as the worst coaching job in the history of coaching jobs. But that's where the blame is falling. It's on Jason Garrett solely for this Cowboys team that can't beat anybody over 500. Well, I, here's the thing. You talk about Jason Garrett. You talk about his record. Um, it's very Marvin Lewis-like. And Man. so different set of circumstances you're dealing with in Dallas as opposed to Cincinnati. Cincinnati was, hey, you know, you got us competitive. We were a doormat for, you know, since 92 to 2000, what, three? Pretty much yeah. a doormat, you know, outside of a few Jeff Blake years. But doormat and you got us relevant, got us in the playoffs, got us consistent. We're, we just, we're just happy that we're having, <laughs> you know, success. Dallas is a different animal. It's the, you know, premier team in the NFL as far as, you know, the, the money, the value, the eyes of the New York Yankees of the NFL. Um, so mediocrity won't happen. You're talking about three, eight and eight seasons, uh, nine and seven here and there. Only three years since he's been the head coach, they've gone double digit wins. And they've only, what, been in the playoffs five times, uh, won two games. So, you know, I can understand the angst, especially when you look at this team on paper. Mm-hmm. You know, on paper, it looks like, you know, this team should be averaging 35 points a game. Defensively, they should have, they should be like one of the higher teams as far as turning the ball over. So, yeah, he should have some of the blame because, to be honest, he's, what, 83 and 64 as a as a, as a head coach, 56%. Mm. So, I, I guess you can see it. But I think the, the back half, so since 2014, he's done well because in the first four years of his career, 5-3, and 8-8, 8-8, 8-8. Eight eight, eight eight, eight eight. Since 2014, they went 12-4, and four, then 4-12, four and 3-13, and 9-7, and 10-6, and, and they're 6-5 right now. I think he's doing a solid job, but some of the blame for some of the inconsistencies within the game, i.e. the uh, way they bungled the situation against um, uh, who did he play when when they took the ball out of Dak hands inside the red zone? Oh, yeah, that was Minnesota. Minnesota game. Yeah. That right there to me falls on on Garrett. So I think yeah he should shoulder some of the blame, but not all. I, not all of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's a head coach. Of course, he's going to shoulder some of the blame. I think a lot of the blame has to go to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, this Cowboys team has been balling out on offense, I believe. Going into this week, they led the league in offensive yards per game. Um, They've been high scoring. It's just at times that defense didn't show up and there's way too much talent on that defense for that to be the case i mean i can rattle off a list of at least 10 all-stars from this defense and to be playing at this level right now i would put it more on the defensive side of the ball but at the end of the day it's gonna fall down on the head coach and my problem with garrett is the the amount of talent on this team the cowboys should be perennial perennial nfc east champions but that's just not the case. And, yes, that falls on the head coach. See, I, I'm selling that it's all his fault. Um, I think he could improve, obviously. But uh, I just think that this talent is a little bit um, – I think that this talent's a little overrated in the end. I think the problem is, I, in my eyes, I think that in the end the players are the ones playing the game. And every time it comes down to a team that levels up with them, they or in everyone else's eyes levels up with them, they come up short. When it's a big game and the offensive line is not giving holds for Zeke, when Zeke's not hitting the holds, when um, Amari Cooper's getting locked down by another number one corner, you're supposed to be a number one wide receiver. There's uh, there's times on the defensive side of the ball where there's there's holds that there weren't holds there against the Redskins and Dolphins. I mean, I'm just starting to think at times that this we're overrating um, this these this Cowboys roster. I'm not saying that they're a bad team at all. They're I still think they're the best team in the NFC East, but maybe they're just not these star star players and they're just very good players and they're just a very good team and a very good team in the nfl is nine ten wins interesting interesting thoughts there from mr marinoni next one here we're going to this get into this one quickly Devlin Hodges comes in off the bench, takes over for Mason Rudolph in the middle of the game for Pittsburgh last week. There still has not been any official word as of this recording of who's going to be starting next week for the Steelers. Quickly around the table, if you're Mike Tomlin, who's your starting quarterback in week 13? Duck Hodges. Quack, quack. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Jalen Samuels. <laughs> <laughs> no. Maybe they can do what Baltimore. Just, <laughs> maybe they maybe they can do what Baltimore's doing and put a running back at quarterback. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the solution here. You got to go with Hodges. I mean, Rudolph has been terrible. Hodges has been two and zero in the games that he's played. Yeah, Hodges. I mean, it's just it's just the eye test. Yeah, exactly. He's not, it's, it's the Jameis yeah. Winston effect. It's you like you don't you don't like the ineffectiveness when he throws the interceptions, but you at least like that he's throwing the damn ball downfield. Like yeah. at least don't become gun shy. Yeah. And Rudolph, considering he came out of Oklahoma State, throwing the ball deep to yeah. you know Washington his entire career doesn't want to throw the ball deep to Washington in the pros. It just seems like, yo, what are you doing? And Hodges getting there in the first play. I'm first throwing play it up. to watch. Yeah, I'm yep. throwing it, throwing right. it deep. Like, man, keep Hodges out there, man. I don't care if he go seven for, for 20. At least, you know, 13 of the incompletions going to be deep shots. So, <laughs> And then we have to have this one, folks. It is Thanksgiving week. We hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your families. Um, but there has been a, 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 a bit of turmoil here, a bit of debate. Um, I don't know why there's a debate, but there is one. In terms of the main course during a Thanksgiving dinner, turkey or ham? Now. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> How <laughs> in the world is this even a discussion? Well, because let's preface it by because there's there's three sides of this. Say turkey and ham. Fair. Fried turkey or traditional turkey. Because fried turkey is undefeated, but I'll <laughs> defer to the rest of you guys and pick your wrong choice. So fried turkey for pick me. Your wrong choice. I am. I, I I don't like turkey. I don't like the taste of it. Because you haven't had fried turkey. That's the thing. I would say that fried yeah. turkey. Could could we agree that that's more of a southern thing? That's it is. definitely. It's yeah. definitely. I'm okay. from New Orleans. So yeah, it's I definitely know. That's because here the turkey's always done in the oven. You cook it for like five or six hours. Yeah, yeah, I found you it got interesting the stuffing though, when on I, the inside. When I when I first moved up here in 05, the amount of like home fires from people trying to fry turkeys inside. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the hell is pe- are people doing up here? Why are you doing Northeast? it in your home? Exactly. <laughs> Don't but do it in your home. T- fried turkey is like once you have that, it's life changing. Yeah, because I, mean, I would I, agree I've with you about it. regular turkey because it can't get dry. Yeah, I uh, I never had fried turkey, but for the first time last year, I had smoked turkey, and I thought that was fantastic. There you go. That was go. definitely better okay. than regular cooked turkey. So, um, I mean, I would, I would, I would, I would definitely. Uh, take the chance. I'll eat anything. So if there's a fried turkey, I'll try it. But. Ham, bro. Like ham. ham. I love ham. <sighs> honey glazed ham. Love it. I will I'll take I, it any I, day of the week. I do love a good honey glazed ham when it's baked right and it's done right. Not on Thanksgiving. It's got to be turkey on Thanksgiving Day. Got to be saying. Also, mac and cheese, slight favorite over stuffing. Not everybody can cook oh. mac and cheese. A good mac and cheese. a good, a good homemade. We had this debate at. I had this debate with a couple people last year, and people were saying stuffing. Um, the cranberry sauce that would never make the top. No, three not at all. At all, mac and cheese is undefeated <laughs> right. as the number one side. What? Wait, cranberry <laughs> stuffing, man. Oh, see, see? Uh, maybe you're not getting crazy. the stuffing made right. No, you don't have <laughs> that's the, that's the, the mac and cheese. Mac and cheese is everything. Listen, bro. mac and cheese is easy. You put water in it. It is not. It, you put it in the microwave and it's done in it a is, minute. It is not. No. Uh, it, it, no. it sounds easy, but <laughs> dude, oh, the mac and cheese goodness. is outstanding. And, and now I found out in the last six months. That I've, I've, I love, I'm, if you follow me on Instagram, football game plan, I am a little bit of a foodie. I love to like cook. A little bit. So, yeah, I, little I'm, bit. I'm always. So I've discovered black garlic. Mm-hmm. Throw that on top of mac and cheese. Never mm-hmm. heard of it. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. McCormick's makes great black garlic in the, you know, in the seasoning aisle. Yeah. Throw that on some, on uh, your chicken, right. fish, uh, you know, mac and, mac and cheese. Out Standing, folks. A dark horse seasoning from the yes. czar of the playbook. That old bay. I've been on old bay for since I, I found out what it was. So when I went went down to Maryland and had I went to Miss Shirley's and had a crab cake sandwich and it was an old bay crab cake sandwich. Mm-hmm. Best thing I've ever eaten. There you go. Got old bay is one of the things you gotta love or hate though. Let's get into week thirteen. We're gonna go rapid fire on these because we do have to talk about the Thanksgiving Day games. Unfortunately, we have to talk about this first one included with that. This one should be flexed to Sunday. Chicago at Detroit. What are we looking at? We're looking at whether or not Detroit can bounce back. I thought they had an opportunity to knock off the Redskins. They let that one slip away. Let's see if they can bounce back against Chicago. Absolutely. I'm looking for Cleo Mack to get things rolling in this one. I mean, over the past few weeks, his stats haven't thought they haven't been where you thought they were. Can he get it back together against a division rival? Everybody's been able to throw on the Lions, so this is a game for Mr. Trubisky to – not be Mr. Biscay. <laughs> <laughs> On to the next one here. Dallas is 0-5 against teams that are above 500. 
Buffalo is above 500. What are we looking for here? Well, that qualifies for what you just said. But when you look at this game, Cowboys defense, and can they defend the mobile quarterback? This is a Thanksgiving down in Dallas. We know Dallas normally plays better on Thanksgiving, and this is going to be a huge game. They need this W. Garrett needs this W. As we mentioned about the Bills' schedule, it's tough down the stretch, and this is one of the games that you have to you have to get because it's not going to get easier after this. Moving on to the nightcap on Thanksgiving Day. This one could be entertaining. Could be a lot of points in this one. Falcons rolled over the Saints a couple of weeks ago, which was not expected. The Saints have recovered nicely, though, since then. The rematch at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Best rivalry in football right here. <laughs> no, for Deep here South's oldest rivalry. Two teams that came in a year apart. 66 fourth Falcons. 67 for the New Orleans Saints. Saints, got to remember what happened a couple weeks ago. Atlanta blew them out. Now, Atlanta just took a loss So to Jameis Winston and the, you know, <laughs> the Bucks that just, you know, I, I just, I, you can't figure out the NFL when you try to. Falcons, Saints, we, we just don't know what to expect, to be honest. That's exactly said. We don't know what to expect here, but I know that the Saints are going to give the Falcons all they have in revenge of, what was that, two or three weeks ago? I look for Kamara to step up big in this one because in that first matchup, he was pretty much shut down. Yeah, we'll see if the Falcons can get after Breeze like he did last game. Um, he didn't do it last week against Jameis Winston, but um, which Falcons team is this going to be? Maybe they have to reshuffle the cards again with the coaches. <laughs> <laughs> Saints and Falcons isn't even the best rivalry in the South. Shout out to the Iron Bowl. That, that, you just insulted not only the NFL, but the SEC. Auburn like, good this year? Going to be a whole lot better than last year, I can tell you that. I mean, I'm not watching the Egg Bowl. I can tell you that one for this year. Yeah, that why, this, why this game isn't flexed to the prime time? I get, I, I get it, I get it, but it should be. 49ers, Ravens, in Baltimore. Good Lord, can we get a power of strength in this one. Are, are you sure you want the Ravens flexed in prime time? Because it seems like getting them out the gate early is, is, is a great st- – because they blew out the, the Texans. They've blown out a lot of teams, so we'll see. This is a – I hate to keep saying this every week, but this is another – Big test for Jimmy Garoppolo. Huge test for Jimmy G and huge test for this 49ers defense. They've been number one against the past before this week, only allowing 142 yards. I believe they only held Rodgers to about 104 total yards passing. Will they be able to do that against Lamar's arm, and how will they be able to stop him on the run? This is a West Coast team coming to East Coast on a one o'clock game. (laughs) I'm telling you right now, the Ravens have to take full advantage of that. This will be a big test, though, for Lamar Jackson because this is going to be a very athletic defense that he hasn't seen in San Francisco. Next one up, the Panthers taking on the Redskins. Haskins coming off his first win, looking for number two, two in a row. Panthers looked decent against the Saints last week but couldn't get it done. This is going to be an interesting test for Haskins. You just want to see continued growth and improvement uh, for the young quarterback, the Panthers' defense p- provides an athletic challenge. So I want to see Haskins become a little bit more, um, stay, maintain that same aggressiveness, but also start to connect with some of these passes that he missed in that previous game against the Lions. Yeah, this is going to be, a, like you said, this is going to be a tough one for Haskins. This Panthers' defense is a lot better than that Lions' defense, and as well as this Panthers' offense. This Panthers' team is coming off of a, a couple of disappointments in a row, and this is a get-right game for them. Yeah, the Panthers have let a few games slide here. They woke up a little bit last week and nearly took down a Saints team. Um, This is a game that uh, you have to see the Panthers get back and get back to the 500 uh, category. Could the doom of the Jets be the Cincinnati Bengals? It's a possibility at Paul Brown Stadium. The Bengals, we've said this all year, they've looked really good in in about half of their losses this season. They're a better team than what the record shows, but the Jets' offense has been outstanding the last three weeks. Well, you have an East Coast team taking the hour flight to Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> Those puddle jumpers to Cincinnati are tough, All right, man. it's tough, man. Like, that's an hour flight. You straight up, straight down. Like, um, But this is going to be an interesting game because as the Raiders came into that game against the Jets, the Jets have to come into this game against the Bengals and take you know full advantage of the opportunity they have. If you have a team that you feel as though on paper that you're better than, that you should beat, you should take care of business. So we should see, this is going to be all coaching, I believe, Zach Taylor versus Adam Gase. Is there such thing as a trap game for a 4-17? and <laughs> <laughs> It's the Jets. Yes, there is. I mean, the Jets are absolutely rolling right now. If they drop this, the, the talks of Gase being fired have dissipated over the past few weeks. But if they drop this one, those, co- those talks gone. are going to fire right back up. <laughs> 
It's gone. Yeah, just from the history of the team being all serious in this year, these are the type of games that the Jets lose. And we mentioned that before. They they win these tough games, the games you don't expect, and then it's the games that they're supposed to win that they drop. This is where Adam Gase can really separate himself from coaches in the past and get himself a win in a game that they must win while they're hot. Meanwhile, in Indianapolis, the Colts and the Titans face off in a battle of 6-5 and five teams. Colts dropped a tough one last week. Tennessee, as we mentioned, have won four or five under Ryan Tannehill, of all people. Interesting ball game here and a huge one for both. Yeah, this got Liberty Bowl written all over it. Like, you're just sitting there watching it like, why am I watching this the game? Sun bowl. It's, yeah, it's the Sun Bowl. It's, it's, it's quietly like... entertaining, quietly competitive to where you're sitting there watching the entire game. Uh, I think this will be one of the more underrated matches of the week because both teams need this win. Huge. He, both, like you said, both teams need this win. They're both sitting at 6-5. and five. If the Titans are going to have any shot of making any noise, this is a must win. Derrick Henry has been rolling right now, and he's if he can continue to do this late into the season and start beating up on these defenses that have been playing week in and week out, this Titans team could do some shocking here. A battle of four and sevens in the Sunshine State, Tampa Bay, Makes the arduous trip north to Jacksonville. We know how tough that trip can be going across the state and slightly north. It's a long bus ride, man. It it is a long bus ride and not one you want to be a part of. Jacksonville, Tampa Bay. (laughs) Which Jameis Winston shows up or do we have to wait play to play to figure out? You got to wait play to play. You got to wait play to play. But it's going to be a fun roller coaster to watch. Um, Shout out to those receivers. Two 1,000-yard receivers. It's been a productive offense for Tampa Bay despite the interceptions. Quietly, you wonder if Jacksonville wants their money back from Nick Foles. Foles, (laughs) The offense hasn't looked good at all. Yeah, this one is huge for Nick Foles. Um, I mean, after taking over, after coming in the season, he was hurt week one, and now he has two straight losses after Gardner Minshew kind of looked better than him. So if he comes out and lays an egg for uh, for Jacksonville in this one, I'm going to hear calls for Gardner Minshew again. The uh, Buccaneers struggle big time to run the ball, but if there's one team you could run the ball against, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, it would be interesting to see between Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones who how they split those carries. One of the underrated rivalries in the NFL's history, the Chiefs taking on the Raiders at Arrowhead Stadium. Massive game for the Chiefs. They're still only 7-4. and four. The Raiders coming off a brutal loss to the Jets. Was that a one-off for Oakland? Well, find out because maybe they were looking ahead to this game which would have put them atop the division and they kind of slept walked through that Jets game now you face a Chiefs team coming off of a bye this is a huge matchup I believe Andy Reid's record coming off a bye is ridiculously good so this is going to be a very uphill battle for the Oakland Raiders but I know that this Chiefs defense has gotten a little bit better than last year, but they're they're still kind of suspect. So Josh Jacobs could see a nice game in this one. Yeah, the Raiders are going to need to bounce back after losing to the Jets um, in a game that they should have won. Um, this is going to be a game that if you don't win, this could ultimately end your season. We move on to the next one here. Eagles taking on the Dolphins. As much as the Cowboys are struggling on treading water, if the Eagles want any chance of catching them, this is a must-win against the Dolphins in Miami. Huge for the Eagles. Yeah, it's going to be huge for the Eagles because you look at the inconsistencies that we're seeing offensively. And it's just as quick we jumped on that Dolphins bandwagon during that two-game win streak. They've crashed a little bit back to earth, uh, looked inconsistent. We'll see which Dolphins team shows up. But the Eagles definitely have to show up in this one. I think the Eagles will show up in this one. I think that this is going to be one of those games where if in fantasy you're just going to throw all of your Eagles players in no matter what position they are, and the Eagles are going to have a day. Yeah, this is uh, this is a game where the Eagles offense needs to get right. Uh, very inconsistent lately. They're missing a lot of pieces. This is the game where you should be able to not only get your guys going, but um, show some consistency in doing it. Let's move on to this next guy, next game. East Rutherford, MetLife Stadium. The Giants taking on the Packers. Uh, Giants really still are about where we expected them at this point, 2-9. and nine. Packers looked very human against San Francisco. This is a must, must win for Green Bay. I'm looking at both quarterbacks in this game. Uh, one, can Daniel Jones protect the football? That's number one. But number two, quietly Aaron Rodgers just looks kind of shaky in this one you know he's, he's been sort of skittish in the pocket it's gonna be a get right game for the Giants defensive line 
come on, man. You know that Aaron Rodgers is about to torch the Giants in this one. And I'm coming on. from a Giants fan, it's at this point, it's like lose out. Aaron Rodgers is about to go off against the Giants. <laughs> this this could turn out to be like a 28-7 to game. I mean, this is a game for Daniel Jones that you just saw Jimmy Garoppolo throwing all, all over the place against this defense. You got a chance here to, if you just protect the ball, you might be able to keep this game entertaining. That might be impossible for Daniel Jones. On to Glendale, the Rams <laughs> taking on the Cardinals. The LA Rams, we know the problems they've had. Cardinals have looked better, but still at three and seven and one. Interesting ball game in Arizona. Yeah, you just want to see the growth of the young rookie quarterback. And quietly, Kyler Murray has been playing outstanding football. He has been probably the only quarterback to give, outside of Russell Wilson, to give the 49ers problems in the passing game. He has looked flawless against the best defense in the game. So we'll see what he does against the Rams. Yeah, this is going to be a good matchup. I mean, you don't know which Rams team you're going to get, but you do know that the Cardinals are going to come to ball with Murray back there. Uh, divisional matchup, both teams know each other. I can see this one being a tight, close game all the way to the end. Battle of number one quarterback picks here. Um, uh, Kyler Murray's got a chance here to uh, really, really do some damage in this NFC West. I mean, the Rams at six and four. We've noted all the struggles that they've had offensively. This is a game that they need to get right, or else they, with how tough this NFC is, they could be out of it quick too. If this was a, a college football game, this would be the disappointment bowl. Broncos taking on the Chargers. Both teams very much struggling. Uh, Chargers look completely lost. At least the Broncos have a decent, decent defense to look at. What are we looking for here at Mile High? You're looking for a Chargers team to play consistent. I still can't get over the intercept that Phillip Rivers threw at the end of the game. Like, you're staring right at a dude wearing 49. You still throw the football anyway. I get it. He's wearing 49. You say, he's not going to catch it. You know, and then you throw it anyway. <laughs> he's a long snapper. Yeah, he's exactly. a long snapper. He's number. wearing 49. Uh, but this is going to be a, a, a huge game for them. Must-win game, I think, for uh, Phillip Rivers. This game is all on Rivers. I mean, the past three weeks, Rivers has had multiple interceptions. He's pretty much thrown his teams out of the games. And for a Chargers team who was expected to go to have high hopes, to make it to the postseason, to be sitting at 4-7, and seven, to be going up against a Broncos team who's on a, a rookie quarterback, if Rivers loses this game, it's like, okay, maybe Hall of Fame isn't in consideration for him anymore. Oh, Wow. Yeah. You going to put I'm all saying, that on? Wow. Like, I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm putting all that on this season because it's a huge disappointment. <laughs> Damn. Hot take machine over there. Like, Damn. Well, Brandon Let Allen. me sit my oatmeal in front of you so you can warm up my oatmeal. <laughs> Same, man. Rivers. <laughs> Rivers. Rivers. Mm. Jesus. Disappointment. I do think Rivers is on uh, on his last leg here, if that's even a, a thing. I mean, I think that's about it. But in this game, you're going to find out if the Chargers are still still want to play football this year. If they're if they tapped out, or if this is, or if they still think that they have a shot. You think if Rivers plays for the Giants, Giants have two more Super Bowls? I've always <laughs> said that if we would have never made that trade, that the Giants would have more Super Bowls. I think that Rivers, um, I think that yes, Jeez. in his career, he was a better quarterback than Eli Manning. Um, yeah, yeah, I think we would have. I Super thought you was going to go all in on the hot take, so I. When, when, well, you when, thought I was going to take Eli? I, thought you go, I, 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 I love Eli. <laughs> I, I love Eli. I'm thankful for everything he's done for us. I, but I yeah, was about we, to say. No. It's that time <laughs> okay. of year. Let's talk about what we're thankful for. Into our next game here from Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. Uh, Browns versus Steelers. Absolutely nothing happened of note the last time these two teams played. Um, right? Nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing at, all. at all. Nothing I remember. No, no, nothing, uh, nothing. It might important. be the first time they played. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a. This could be ugly, folks. It could be real ugly. But there could be a question of who is starting at the quarterback position for Pittsburgh. We still don't know if it's going to be Mason Rudolph and potential revenge happening there, or whether <laughs> Devlin Hodges will get the start. Could be interesting. In yeah. all seriousness and all jokes aside, I thought, I think this. Even if it's Mason Rudolph. Uh, Devlin Hodges has shown he doesn't care coming off the side, you know, cold. So you still have yeah. the luxury of playing um, Rudolph. And if he stinks, you know Hodges is already – you know the gun is already locked and loaded. He's ready to just throw it. Like, he's just, he don't care. Devlin Hodges is that kid from the from the uh, Cam Newton. Yeah, he, he's, I'm just <laughs> – I'm just losing my arm. He is I thought like, that was Kyle Allen. <laughs> it might be Kyle Allen too. This is going to be a good one. I mean, high tensions from both sides of the ball in this one. What's his name? Okeechobee is back in this one. Yeah, he's in. <laughs> Okeechobee. He's the only one that didn't get uh, fined. So yeah. shout out to the for 
Nuts. He's, he's back in this one. Uh, if Rudolph is back there, though, you know that that Browns D line is going to be drooling at the bit trying to get to him. That shotgun uh, formation gonna look like punt formation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think it would have been better off for Mason Rudolph's career if he ended up getting suspended and, and didn't <laughs> right. have to play last week. But uh, yeah, it's gonna be. That's. I mean, there's so many stories in this game, but it's gonna be interesting to see the Steelers' decision at who plays quarterback because. Um, do you want a chance to win, or do you want the circus in town? Because it, it, because Rudolph also Rudolph's going to be a huge target, and Sheldon Richardson already made that clear. So with with this game, so. even if he's on the sideline, he'll be a giant target. Anyway, into Sunday night, Texans taking on the Patriots. We know one thing about Houston: they play up or down to their competition. They are going to go way up to get to New England's level, but New England still has to deal with a dual threat quarterback in Watson. This is his Alabama. Yeah, this is an opportunity for Watson to to be the Clemson Watson that we've seen. We've seen him do great things against New England before his rookie year. He had a yeah. great game against New England, so I'm glad this one is a night game because it's gonna be it's gonna be must see TV. This yeah, this is gonna be a good matchup. Obviously, the Texans don't run an option offense, but I do see them picking parts um, of that Ravens matchup to see uh, how to take care of the Patriots. And it's gonna what Watson does with his legs in this one is gonna be what I'm looking for. Yeah, this is a like you said. This is the game for Watson. This could be your moment here, and um, and the New England Patriots offense hasn't shown anything that they're going to blow you away. So if Watson can just limit the mistakes and use every part of his talent in this game, his legs, his arms, everything, he has a chance to win this game. On to Monday night, the Kirk Cousins hype train pulls into Seattle. This could be one of the better matchups of the last few weeks of the season here: Vikings and Seahawks. Two quarterbacks that have shown that when they're on their game, anything is possible. What do we look for here? A great defensive showcase, man. I think mm-hmm. the Seahawks defense is playing outstanding. The Vikings defense is the Vikings defense. And which offense can find that continuity uh, within this game to get points upon the board? I think points would be hard to come by. You say a great defensive showcase? I say a great showcase all around because both of these offenses can put up numbers. Mm -hmm. The Seahawks kind of dropped the ball this past week against the Eagles. Tons of drop balls from DK Metcalf, but if they connected, this would have been a lopsided victory for the Seahawks. I think that this is going to be more high score, and I can see like a 28-25 finish to the game. You got the an MVP favorite, and then you got Russell Wilson in this game. <laughs> so I am very, very excited. Um, uh, I'm actually what I'm really gonna look at is to see if uh, Rashad Penny is gonna be the man now. I want to see if they. Uh, I mean, eight fumbles for Chris Carson in one season. That's a lot of fumbles for your starting running back. Mm-hmm. And uh, Penny showed out last week, so I'm interested to see who takes the <laughs> who takes the reins there. I mentioned the Kirk Cousin hype train. Alex Marinoni is the engineer of the. I'm, <laughs> of so, the let's go. I'm all in. <laughs> The bitterness is still there. <laughs> that looks, that'll do it for the NFL All-32 podcast. If you want to check out all the predictions between uh, for these weekend games, myself and Emery are on the NFL All-32 show on the Game Plus Network. You can check that out on Optimum uh, on Thursday. Are we still putting that out on Thursday this week, Emery? What Thursday is the- and uh, Friday. We have Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We have all kinds of shows. Friday, Wednesday is our power ranking show, 630. NFL All-32 is Thursday at 6.30. Our college football tailgate is Friday at 6.30. Troy and Alex also make an appearance on both shows, the yep. uh, Power Ranking Show and also the NFL All-32 Show with their best bets. Uh, these guys are sitting in the studio shirtless, so don't listen to their advice uh, <laughs> for betting on the games. But all seriousness, we also join NFL All-32 with Jennifer Mary Waika, who's the four-minute offense update uh, personality that we have bring you the news notes and tidbits each and every week and we have to apologize folks for the uh there might be a slight pause in the middle of this podcast because about 200 students from yale came into the studio in the middle of the <laughs> right smack dab in the middle and just sat down in front of the mic so it was a little difficult to hear but in nerds. all seriousness <laughs> nerds really <laughs> jeez uh but in all seriousness uh folks have a wonderful thanksgiving we hope that you celebrate it with your friends and family uh both at the table and in front of the TV, enjoying some great NFL football and some college football as well. Uh, so from David Hassagan, the star of the playbook, Emory Hunt, Troy Anthony, and Alex Marinoni, thanks for listening in. Enjoy your turkey. Maybe your ham if you're a weirdo. Definitely the bacon on top of the turkey. <laughs> Enjoy all of the, of the feasting. Enjoy your weekend of football, and we'll see you next week.